Father, we do the same thing every week at this point, uh, opening our Bibles and reading a passage of Scripture and considering these things together. I pray that you would rid us of what roteness may do to our hearts, which is dull them to what we're about to do. Would you awaken in us a sense of the weight of what's about to happen? You are the God of the universe. You spoke all things into existence. We exist this very moment because you are sustaining us by the word of your power. You are a God who spoke through men. Those words were recorded in the pages that we hold in our hands. We are about to read a book that is not merely a book, but it is your word, the word of Almighty God. Please help us to feel the gravity of that. We're about to read sacred scripture. Please help us to approach it rightly. Not routinely. And help us to receive it appropriately as your word. Help us to believe it implicitly and to rightly move to obey it, to love it, to see how badly we need it, how badly we need you. We don't naturally do these things, and so we need your Holy Spirit to help us. We ask that he will. We ask that he will in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. As you're finding your place there, if you would please stand with me. We're going to read the whole chapter, beginning in verse 1. Leviticus 25, beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the Lord. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired servant and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you 
when each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the jubilee, and he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price. If the numbers are few, you shall reduce the price, for it is the number of the crops that he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it and then return to his property. But if he has not sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. If a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, he may redeem it within a year of its sale. For a full year he shall have the right of redemption. If it is not redeemed within a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong in perpetuity to the buyer throughout its generations. It shall not be released in the Jubilee. But the houses of the villages that have no wall around them shall be classified with the fields of the land. They may be redeemed, and they shall be released in the Jubilee. As for the cities of the Levites, the Levites may redeem at any time the houses in the cities they possess. If one of the Levites exercises his right of redemption, then the house that was sold in a city they possess shall be released in the Jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the people of Israel, but the fields of pasture land belonging to their cities may not be sold, for that is their possession forever. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired servant and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of the Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants, whom I brought out from the land of Egypt. 
They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. As for your male and female slaves, whom you may have, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are around you. You may also buy from among the strangers who sojourn with you and their clans that are with you, who have been born in your land, and they may be your property. You may bequeath them to your sons after you to inherit as a possession forever. You may make slaves of them, but over your brothers, the people of Israel, you shall not rule one over another ruthlessly. If a stranger or sojourner sojourner with you becomes rich, and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you, or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him, or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. He shall calculate with his buyer from the year when he sold himself to him until the year of Jubilee, and the price of his sale shall vary with the number of years. The time he was with his owner shall be rated as the time of a hired servant. If there are still many years left, he shall pay proportionately for his redemption some of his sale price. If there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, he shall calculate and pay for his redemption in proportion to the years of service. He shall treat him as a hired servant year by year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You may be seated. I hate to bring up a sore subject, but does anyone remember the lockdown? It's back in 2020. In fact, you, you know, it's funny. Back in the day, when you said the words 2020, most of us think of eyesight. But now you just think of this horrific time in American history, uh, particularly a three-month window when everyone couldn't leave their homes, right? And many businesses shut down from, May, from March to May. And the shutdown of those businesses, it was near economic disaster, you can't stop doing business and prosper. Now, I am not, not making a comment on whether it should have been done or not. I'm not trying to pick a fight this morning. But here in Leviticus 25, God is saying every seventh year, we're going to shut down for a year. Not a couple of months or three months. A year we're going to do this. And then we're going to do it again in the 50th year. And this is going to be the key to your prosperity. If you will do this, then the land will feed you in perpetuity. Now, we, having some experience with this lockdown thing, we we, we may read this and think, what? You stop being productive and it's the key to prosperity? This seems a bit out of control, but that is how important this concept of Sabbath is to God. 
One, one day a week, not enough. The feasts back in chapter 23, not enough. God says, more emphasis, more emphasis on Sabbath rest. Why is this so crucial? Why is it so crucial that God would prescribe what on its face looks like a prescription for economic disaster? Well, we'll find this morning that it's crucial because of what it does for the people. It requires them to trust God while reveling in His salvation past and in His salvation future. It it essentially requires the people to act out God's own work on their behalf. And what it does for us, who are millennia removed from, from these writings, it moves us to remember what God has done for us and to consider practical ways of acting out the gospel for ourselves and for those who are living around us. Now, the first thing that we should do this morning as we consider this passage is to think about the fact that the Sabbath year, which is mentioned here in the first seven verses, perhaps by design, seven verses, Sabbath year, we need to note that the Sabbath year is all about sustenance. It's all about sustenance. These first seven verses call for, interesting, the land to observe a Sabbath. The land will rest for for an entire year. Verse 4, it shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. That's repeated again at the end of verse 5. And yet, the Lord says, there's going to be plenty of food. Verse 6, the Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you. You're not going to sow the land for a whole year. You're not going to harvest the land for a whole year, but the resting of the land is going to provide food for you. How on earth is that going to work? Well, he says, he explains it down in verse 20. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? Verse 21, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. And when you sow in the eighth year, you'll be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. Now remember that the Sabbath, we've seen this in in the previous several weeks. The Sabbath is about resting in God's presence. And again, this is what all of this pictures. And it shows that God is man's deepest need. And now this, this, this deeper layer or additional layer is requiring people to trust God in this. If God is our deepest need, then we can actually trust Him for everything else. And this is just one way that God weaves into the Scriptures and weaves into the storyline of of His people throughout time this idea that faith is a central component of man's response to Him. Faith, a central component of man's response to Him. God, God institutes this Sabbath year to put people in a position where they have to trust Him to sustain them. The Sabbath Sabbath's all about all about sustenance. The Jubilee, as we move on in the passage, is all about liberty and restoration. It's all about liberty and restoration. So you have a Sabbath year every seven years. Then every seventh seven is this super mega Sabbath year called the year of Jubilee. Also called the year of our Lord's favor. 
Loud trumpets are sounded on the day of atonement. And look at verse 10 again, 25.10. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you return to his clan. Why would that be necessary? To return to your property. Return to your clan or return to your family. What's being prescribed here? We need a little bit of background perhaps. Later in in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, the land of Canaan, which God has given to His people, is going to be apportioned to the people of Israel tribe by tribe and clan by clan or family by family. So as, as this is being written, as Leviticus is being written, nobody has any land. So, so the Lord is talking about land that He's going to give them. But think about this. What happens if a person comes on hard times? They need some cash. Well, they might sell that inherited land, that land that the Lord has given them. What if he comes on even harder times still? He's already sold his land. He might sell himself into service to someone else. And those two scenarios, very common scenarios in the ancient Near East, selling one's land during during difficult times, and selling one's self into slavery during difficult times. Very common in the ancient Near East. But God is saying here in Leviticus 25, you can do those two things in in Israel. When you come into the land and I give you this land, you can do those two things, but it's going to be very different in Israel. It's going to be different in, in several ways. Here's how it's going to be different, all right? And I'm about to give a synopsis of all of these 55 verses, or most of these 55 verses that we we read a few minutes ago. In the case of someone selling his land, he's not going to sell the land in perpetuity. And, And in practice, he's actually not selling the land per se, but selling years of crops. That's verse 15. So how, however many years of land there are until the, until the year of Jubilee, that's how many years of crops you're selling when you sell the land, all right? So if there are many years until Jubilee, the price is going to be higher. If there are just a few years uh, until the year of Jubilee, then the price is going to be lower. And if a person sells his land, then a, a family member called a goel, that's the, that's the Hebrew word, you're going to want to lock that away for a minute. Hebrew word goel just means a redeemer. That redeemer or goel can come and buy the land back for the family according to however many number of years there are left until the jubilee. And if the redeemer comes to buy that land back, the seller has to sell it. Or if the person who sold it himself, if if he comes into some money somehow, he he can buy that land back. If there is no Redeemer, if there's no Goel, then when the year of Jubilee rolls around, that land automatically reverts to the original owner who will return to his inheritance. Now in the second scenario, that person who comes on even harder times and has sold himself into servitude, there are several different scenarios. So pay attention, okay? This is, this is important. If, if an Israelite sells himself to another Israelite, then he's going to be cared for and, and, and serve that other Israelite as a hired worker, not as a slave. And then in the year of Jubilee, he's going to go out free. Okay? If an Israelite sells himself to a non-Israelite 
living among the Israelites. Are you with me? The first scenario was an Israelite sells himself to an Israelite. The second scenario is an Israelite sells himself to a non-Israelite living among the Israelites. Then you've got another scenario where a Goel or Redeemer can come and buy him back from that non-Israelite for whatever price accords with however many number of years are left until the year of Jubilee. This is just like buying back the land. If there's no Redeemer, then again, you just have to wait until the year of Jubilee. And when the year of Jubilee rolls around, then that Israelite sold to a non-Israelite can go out free. A third scenario, you might guess what that third scenario would be. Maybe you just remember from when we read the text. A non-Israelite sold to an Israelite. If a non-Israelite is sold to an Israelite, then they're just plain old slaves. They do not go out at the year of Jubilee. There is no way for them to be bought back by a Redeemer. In other words, it matters whether or not a person is a member of this covenant that people have made with God. People outside the covenant, they do not benefit from the year of Jubilee. A non-Israelite slave remains a slave in perpetuity. That is, from generation to generation to generation. Here's one thing that we, we, we want to keep in mind. The buyer of, of the land or the, the buyer of the servant, what we, what we may think of in our day as the creditor, in both cases, whether it's a person buying the land or, or buying a person, that buyer or creditor is not getting a raw deal in this jubilee system because this is not debt forgiveness. Why is that? Because the price paid is based upon how many years there are until the year of Jubilee. So if the Goel redeems the property or the servant, he pays whatever price is appropriate for when he buys that land or that person back. If there is no Goel, no Redeemer, then by the time the year of Jubilee rolls around, the buyer has gotten his money's worth out of the land or the servant. So the debt, is, the debt is being paid back either by a redeemer or by time. Either way, the buyer gets what he is owed. He gets what he paid for. For God to require that the buyer loses his shirt on this deal would be unjust. And we've seen over and over that God is a just God. So the debt is getting paid. All right. Now, what is this all about? Why is God doing this jubilee cycle? Some commentators have argued that the whole purpose of of this thing is preventing the development of permanent economic classes. Because at the end of every 50 years, everyone is, is freed from servitude and everyone gets their land back. Now, that is true. At the end of 50 years, everyone is freed from servitude. Everyone gets their land back. But I suggest that those commentators who think that this is all about just eliminating long-term economic classes, I suggest that those commentators are wildly missing the point. Because first of all, there is a clear distinction between those who are inside and outside the covenant. If you're outside the covenant, you stay a servant perpetually, and there is no way for you to ever have land within the people of, of God. And to read this text the way that some of these commentators do is to ignore features of the text and to read a kind of Marxism into it. 
And, and, and what's more is that there are thematic statements in the text that actually do tell us why God is instituting this. Why does God want this system of jubilee to be enacted in His people? And why does He want this sale of property and peoples? Why does He want it to look different in Israel than it does everywhere else in the ancient Near East? Well, here are some of these thematic statements that, that point us in the direction of understanding why God has instituted the, the Jubilee cycle. First of all, in verse 23, look at verse 23. Regarding why the people are not to keep the land that they buy from one another, but return it in the year of Jubilee, the Lord says in verse 23, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, and you are strangers and sojourners with me. And that's that's one, one clue, and we'll make sense of it a little bit more in a minute. Now glance down at verse 38. Regarding why the people should not treat their poor servant Israelites like slaves, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. There's another clue. Now jump down to verse 42. Regarding why they should release fellow Israelite servants in the Jubilee, he says, verse 42, for they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. And, and then once again in verse 55, something very similar. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They're my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now what all of these thematic statements have in, ha- have in common is that they indicate that this Sabbath year at the beginning of the chapter and the Jubilee at the end of the chapter, they are emblematic of God's prior saving work. The Sabbath year in the year of Jubilee, they're emblematic of God's past saving work. In other words, this, this Jubilee system, it requires the people to act out on, on a regular cycle. Every 50 years, they're acting out what God has done for them. Here's, here's some interesting things. You, you might want to write a couple of references down. Exodus 6.6 6 and Exodus 15.13. These are other places where we find that Hebrew word used, go well. But listen to this. This is Exodus 6, 6, 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with acts of judgment. That's that's God being the go well of of the people of Israel. And in Exodus 15, 13, this is, this, is, this is the song of Moses after they've come out of the land of Egypt. It reads, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. That's the same word, Goel. The Lord has redeemed the people. And the people are singing this song back to Him. So that word, Goel, that is used, it's connected to Yahweh as the subject and the people of Israel as the object before it's ever used in Leviticus 25 to command the people to buy one another back. Now, to be clear, let's, let's remind ourselves, from what was the Lord redeeming the people in Exodus? What, what was He doing? In what way was He a go-well? Remember, let's... Let's, instead, we, instead of going back to Exodus, we actually need to go back to Genesis. Genesis 46. Again, if you're, if you're taking notes, you might write down Genesis 46. Israel was removed from their land. Land promised to them. They were removed from their land by difficult times. There was a famine in the land. 
And so they had to leave. They had to go where they could find food. To say it another way, they, they found they came upon hard times, and in the land that was promised to Abraham, they left that land and they went to Egypt. That's Genesis 46, very similar to the scenario that's depicted in Leviticus 25, and Israelite comes upon hard times, sells his land in order to survive. That's what the Israelites experienced in Exodus, I'm sorry, Genesis 46, going into to Egypt. So the Israelites then, they find themselves in Egypt, and eventually they are enslaved there. Enslaved for 400 years, and it's in the midst of that slavery that God says for the first time, this, this Hebrew verb, goel, I will redeem you. And as he says in Leviticus 25, by, by that act of redemption and later by covenant, he freed them from that slavery, made them his servants, and, and he brought them out of Egypt. And at this point in the story, in Le- Leviticus 25, this point in the story, He's about to return them to the land that they left in Genesis 46. In other words, this, gen, this jubilee cycle of, of, of people losing their land and, and being enslaved and then being freed and then being brought back to their land, this is the Israelites' own story with, with Yahweh. And so, and so Yahweh is saying to them, look, every 50 years, you're going to reenact your own story. So when, you, when your brother sells his land in hardship, he's not selling it permanently. He's coming back to his land in the year of Jubilee, if not sooner through the redemption of a Goel, just like your land was not lost to you in the famine of Genesis, but I'm bringing you back to it now. And when your brother finds himself in slavery, he's not going to be a slave permanently. He's going to be freed in the year of Jubilee, if not sooner, through the redemption price of a Goel. Why? Because that's what I've done for you. And when you image me in these things, it's not just that you're imaging me, but you're also reminding yourselves of this great act of salvation by which I created you to be my people. But... Someone outside the covenant is enslaved. They stay enslaved because I'm your God and you are my people. Now, as you might imagine, God cared a great deal about all of this stuff, cared a great deal that the people would actually do these things, that they would actually observe these Sabbath years and years of Jubilee. And as you also might imagine, The people did not take it very seriously. They did not keep the Sabbath years. They did not keep the years of Jubilee. And this is forecast for us in the very next chapter of Leviticus. Turn turn with me to Leviticus 26, 33. In Leviticus 26, God, God promises blessings for obedience to all these things that have been written in Leviticus and curses for disobedience. And what we're about to read is a curse that's going to come for disobedience. All right, Leviticus 26, 33. I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have the rest 
the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. You see, this is, this is, this is almost prophetic. I mean, it's, it's assuming they're not going to keep the Sabbath years that have been commanded in the previous chapter. And God is saying, the land is going to get its rest. One, one way or another, it's going to get its rest. I'm going to make sure of that, even if I have to remove you from the land so that it can have its rest. And of course, that is exactly what happened in the Babylonian exile. And what this means is that there's going to be yet another removal of the people from their land. There's going to be yet another enslavery of the people of God. And if we were to keep reading in Leviticus 26, which we don't have time to do, we would find there's not only going to be a removal of the people from the land and enslavery of the people in another land, but there's going to be a return from that exile. So God is going to bring them back to the la- their land yet again. There's going to be what we might call a second exodus. In fact, the, the, prophets, the prophets use all of this jubilee language to speak of God bringing the people back from Babylon. The prophets reach back into Leviticus and back into Exodus, back into, into Genesis, and use all of these things to make promises to the people that yes, you're going into exile, but you're also going to be released from exile. Isaiah 55.12 uses the word for jubilee, the Hebrew word for jubilee, when it, when it, when it uh, reads, for you shall Go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. This is before the people ever go into exile. They're promised that they're going to go out in jubilee. Isaiah 48.20 is very similar. Go out from Babylon. Flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And guess what that word redeemed is? It's that word goel. Again, reaching back to this passage here in Leviticus 25. Same picture of going out from slavery. Same picture of going back to their land. And the same word goel. So jubilee then is is not just emblematic of God's saving work in the Exodus, his, his saving work in the past, but of God's saving work over and over and over and over. The people sell themselves into slavery, losing their right to the land, and God redeems them from that captivity and brings them back to the land. And the the intent in giving this command then, we might say, this this command to, to repetitively live out the Jubilee cycle was not just to reenact God's saving work, but we might say it was also to pre-enact God's saving work. Because the Sabbath year... And in Jubilee, we're emblematic, ultimately, of God's saving work in Christ. Ultimately emblematic of God's saving work in Christ. I would ask you to turn with me now to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Pastor Rick read this for us already this morning, but it's worth, it's worth looking at again. Jesus is he's in his own hometown. Verse 16 tells us that he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say to them, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, many of us heard this passage. We've at least heard it earlier this morning, right? But what we may not have realized until this morning is that the year of the Lord's favor is another name for the year of Jubilee. And Jesus is saying here, when He says this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, what He's saying is, my arrival is Jubilee. It is, it, is the end, it is the end of your sin debt, and it is, it is your return to the land. How, how exactly does that work? How, how, does, how, how does that fit with everything that, that we see elsewhere in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament? Well, let's, let's think again about, about what Jubilee is. We're talking about Liberty from slavery, and, and we're talking about restoration to land when we think about Jubilee. But when, when we think about Jesus being Jubilee, we don't just want to go back to Israel, all right? We want to go back to the very beginning, the very beginning. In the beginning, God made man and placed man in a land, he gave him the Garden of Eden, placed him in this perfect paradise where he had unfettered fellowship with God. This is, this is the ideal setting. This is what man was created for. And, and it was this rich land. There's a flowing river that waters this perfect garden. It was the definition of paradise in every way. Not just the land itself, but the situation where man is... is face-to-face with God, enjoying fellowship with Him. That's in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 3, man rebels against this kind, almighty, good God. Man says he doesn't want this paradise. Rejects, Rejects perfection. And in that act, sells himself into slavery to sin. The book of Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death, which is separation from God. Therefore, the man was cast out of the garden. So he, he's removed from this good land. He's removed from his fellowship with God. Adam, as, as the father of the human race, he, he's, he, he had just done something not just on his own behalf, but on behalf of everyone who would come from him. And, and we might get a, a little wound up about that, but, but Paul in Romans chapter 5, he removes any, any right that we might have for bitterness when he writes in Romans 5.12, that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Spread, death spread to all men because all sin. 
All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus says in John 8, 34, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. And so we all, with our own willful rebellion, earned our own condemnation, earned our own eternal separation from God. But in accordance with these wonderful pictures that we see in the Old Testament, including this jubilee cycle with this concept of of a goel, a, a, a family redeemer, one who is from us, who is able to save us. God sent a redeemer in the form of His own Son. His own Son who is born a man. He's from us. And Jesus Christ purchased our freedom from that slavery to sin and death, but not with money, but with His own blood. Jesus paid the price for the sins of men by dying on the cross in their place. And three days later, God gave His stamp of approval on that sale, essentially saying everything is square by by raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus' resurrection essentially says that that payment of Jesus' life was sufficient. All those who turn from their sin and trust in Christ, then they are freed from slavery to sin and they become eternal servants then of the Savior. This, this is what the book of Hebrews refers to in, in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 when, when he writes that through death, He destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So, so we who were formerly slaves to sin and death, no more, no longer dead slaves of sin, but rather we become living servants of Christ. Now, some would say that when it, when it comes to this thing of returning to the, lamp, uh, to the land, there, there is a return to Eden, right? Others would say there's a return to the literal land of Israel because that's what God promised to Abraham. It seems to me that, that the book of Hebrews indicates that, that even Abraham is going to be disappointed if, if that's the answer to this land piece because Abraham was looking forward to a better land, a heavenly one according to Hebrews chapter 11. In Revelation 21 and 22, we've seen this numerous times in recent weeks, Revelation 21 and 22 describes a land better than Eden, where as we've seen, there exists not even the hint of a possibility of sin and rebellion, which is what part of what makes this a, a place better than Eden, and there God Himself is the light of His people. Important question though, who enjoys this blessing of jubilee in Christ? Those who are partakers of the new covenant in Christ. Those who repent of their sin and, and follow Christ in faith, faith. Conversely, all those who are intent on continuing in their own way, holding on to, to their sin and rebellion, refusing Christ, they remain slaves of sin and death. Now, what should we do with these things? 
What, what should we take with us in terms of living in light of, of the truth? Well, it seems that in this Jubilee cycle, God was very eager for His people to act out God's saving work with their lives. That's what this Jubilee cycle was. It was, it was people doing what God has done for them. And so, so how much more then should we do that on this side of the gospel? Act out the gospel. Do things that picture God's work in Christ while winsomely and humbly explaining while we're doing them. Now, this, this, this could be any number of things, but I want to give you a few examples, okay? Examples, but first, let me say this. Before I give you examples of, of what it might look like to act out the gospel, let me say this. Acting out the gospel is only helpful if we are also speaking the gospel. Otherwise, the message is completely lost and there is no meaningful effect. Faith comes from hearing, says Romans chapter 10. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Acting out the gospel is intended to give credence to the words that we're saying. So we need to be sharing the gospel and, and we complement that by acting out the gospel with our lives. Here's a few ways that we might act out the gospel. First of all, and, and this, this one I would think is perhaps the most obvious, we should have an inexhaustible readiness to forgive the repentant. An inexhaustible readiness to forgive the repentant. We read a few minutes ago from Leviticus 26, God saying that, that in the exile the land would have its rest from the sabbatical years that the people ignored. You remember that? So the, 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 God's saying, look, the land's going to have its rest. It's going to have all the rest that it didn't have when you didn't observe the Sabbath years. Now, a question. How long was the exile? The exile was 70 years. It was 70 years. We find that in Jeremiah 25, Daniel 9, Zechariah 1, Zechariah 7. 70 years, which means that there were how many Sabbath years that the people did not, did not observe? 70. Which means there were how many, how many years does that represent? That means there were 70 times Seven years that the people were not honoring the Lord with their calendar. Seventy times seven. I don't believe in I don't believe in coincidences. And so when I read Matthew eighteen twenty one, Peter saying to the Lord, Lord, how how often will my brother sin against me, and and I forgive him as many as seven times? Of course, Peter thinks he's being just tremendously generous. And uh, how what does the Lord say? No. 70 times 7. I conjecture that these are dots that a Jew would connect. Jesus is saying, be as long-suffering as God has been with you. God endured patiently with the Israelites through 70 Sabbath cycles of them ignoring Him. And He brought them into exile and when they repented, He brought them back into the land. And this is the story over and over with God. Over and over with God. The constant refrain of the, of the prophets is a warning of judgment. 
followed by words like, but even now, even now if you repent, then I will forgive you and bring you back to the land. We too should be inexhaustible in our readiness to forgive the repentant. A second way that we might live out the gospel practically is by making appropriate distinctions between those inside and outside the covenant while being kind to all. Making appropriate distinctions between those inside and outside the covenant while being kind to all. This is a way to picture the gospel. Does God treat everyone the same? He does not. He does not. God treats His bride differently than all the other women on the block. Just like you do. But He is kind to everyone. The Bible does not tell us, the Bible does not teach us to leave unbelievers out in the cold. It absolutely does not do that. But there is clear biblical teaching in the New Testament to prioritize relationships in the church and to prioritize the well-being of the body of Christ. I'll give you just one for the sake of time. Galatians chapter 6. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of the faith. One way to act out the gospel is to make appropriate distinctions between those who are inside and outside the covenant while being kind to all. Third, be kind and gentle to those who are under our authority. This is a constant refrain that we find in Leviticus chapter 5, and it's something that's carried into the New Testament in numerous places. Here's just one of them, Colossians 4.1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. That, that concept and that language is taken directly from Leviticus 25. Ephesians 6.9 is another reference that says almost exactly the same thing. When you find yourself in a position of authority over another human being, treat them as the Lord has treated you. And when you do that, you are acting out the gospel in a practical way. Don't lord your authority over other people made in His image. Fourth, fourth way, trust God when He asks you to do what seem like impossible things, difficult things. Trust the Lord. When He calls you to do difficult things, trust Him when He says, look, this is what I ask of you, and and it looks like it's not going to work out. It's like taking a year off from work, and you're thinking, how am I going to eat? When the Lord asks you to do things like a sabbatical year, trust the Lord with your needs and your circumstances. When the Lord brings an illness into your life and you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to survive physically, let alone emotionally and spiritually, trust the Lord when He's asking you to endure this. Trust Him. When the Lord brings something into your life with your children, you don't know, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Trust Him. The Lord, the Lord asks difficult things of us. And it is not, as one of my favorite movies says, because He believes in you. He does not believe in you. He wants you to believe in Him. And He desires to prove Himself faithful to you. One final one. This is a big one. Live in this world with the disposition of a sojourner in exile. Live in this world with the disposition of a sojourner in exile. In exile. This is language that Peter picks up, takes it from Leviticus, drags it over into his, 
his first epistle. And what Peter means by it is, is simply, look, understand that we are citizens of another land. This is not our inheritance. This current world, not our inheritance. It's going to burn up. God's going to burn it up. The new heavens, the new earth, that's our inheritance. And so we ought not be utterly attached to this land, overwhelmed by changing tides of politics and social norms and our own circumstantial changing tides, but rather recognize we're just passing through. And keeping in mind, of course, that He's called us to make a mark for the kingdom in this land while we're passing through, but this land is not our home. We ought not despair over its shifting foundations as if it were our land. Live in this world with the disposition of a sojourner in exile. Now, there could be many other ways that the Lord intends for each of us, depending on our own circumstances, to live out what we have found in this jubilee cycle. So, after I pray and we observe a, a brief moment of silence, let us all before the Lord just ask Him, Father, how would you, you knowing my particular circumstances, how would you have me to live out the things that we've seen? And let's trust Him to reveal that to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your extraordinary kindness to us. We thank You for the reality of the gospel, the good news that, that you are a, a good and loving God who has moved to save your people from their sins through your extraordinary Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that these things are true. We thank you that you forecast them so many times and so many ways in the Old Testament and then fulfilled them in Jesus. We thank you for these particular pictures, the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee. Would you grant us, Lord, to slow down today, slow down this week, and cultivate the skill of meditation, to think about these things, to just revel in their reality. And would you also help us, Father, to take the time to think deeply about how you would have us to respond. Father, it's clear, it's so clear. You wanted your people to act these things out. And it seems clear from the New Testament. You want us to act out the gospel. Not just believing it, but living these things in practical ways. Would you reveal to us in these coming moments, each of us individually, unique ways that you would have us to live out the gospel? Would you do that for us, Father? Pray that in these coming moments there would just be, there would just be an, an outpouring of communication from your Holy Spirit through the Scriptures, meaningful applications to each one of us, that we might be faithful to you in applying what we've just seen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.